0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This past week, I came across a news article that seemed to pull forward the theme in Ruth chapter 3 today as we continue in our journey of stewardship. And rather than just recount it to you, I thought I'd show it to you this morning. So you can take a look at it. It'll give you chills in a good way. Take a look at what I mean.
1: Not many good news stories begin in such a bad news way. It happened last month here at Southwood High School in Shreveport, Louisiana. In
0: Shreveport, Louisiana.
1: Over the course of three days,
0: fight. 23,
1: 23 fight. students arrested, fight. for arrested, for arrested for fighting. But strangely, there hasn't been another, incident, hasn't been another incident since. Another Perhaps incident in part since. because of this Perhaps most unusual crisis intervention team. Crisis. NOBODY, here has, Nobody HERE HAS A DEGREE no, IN SCHOOL no COUNSELING. In no, no, NO MAJORS IN CRIMINAL JUSTICE. YOUR QUALIFICATIONS justice. ARE? Parents. WE'RE, We're dads. Dads. WE DECIDED We're dads. Dads. THE BEST PEOPLE WHO can, CAN TAKE, care, who people people take CARE OF OUR kids, KIDS ARE WHO? So are us. Kids so are who FOR US. SO MICHAEL Lafitte sure. STARTED DADS ON DUTY. DOING WHAT WE DO FOR OUR A GROUP OF ABOUT 40 SOUTHWOOD DADS WHO NOW HANG OUT AT THE SCHOOL IN SHIFTS. TODAY, ANY NEGATIVE ENERGY THAT ENTERS THE BUILDING HAS TO RUN A GAUNTLET OF GOOD PARENTING. You moving fast. I like that horse.
0: I immediately felt a form of safety. We stopped fighting. People started going to class. How could that be? You ever heard of a look?
1: A look, dads have the power to do that?
0: Yes, <laughs> not many people know it, but yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> let's go, let's it, but go. It. But it's not just the firm <laughs> stares <laughs> and stern just warnings. The let's stares, make it to class, class, my son. It's also it's the dad, dad jokes. It's also they just the make funny jokes. jokes, like, oh, hey, your student's on but it's really not untied. And They hate it. They're so embarrassed by it. And it's that perfect mix of tough love and gentle ribbing that dads do so well that has helped transform this school.
0: The school has really just been like happy and you can feel it.
1: Which is why the dads plan to keep coming to Southwood
0: indefinitely.
1: Because not everybody has the father figure at home.
0: Or a male period period in their life. So just to
1: be here makes a big difference. Do you think you stumbled onto something here? Do you think you stumbled? Absolutely, absolutely, They'd like to start chapters of Dad's On Duty throughout Louisiana What's up, babe, and hope to eventually up, babe, take on the country without a fight. All right. without <laughs> Steve Hartman on the road Steve in Shreveport, Hartman, Louisiana.
0: Louisiana. In Shreveport, Louisiana. The untold story behind that news article, while it celebrates the victory, is the risk, the risk those dads had to take. If we put our shoes in theirs for just a moment and think about the amount of time they gave up or do give up weekly, time on the job, time doing other things, it's a pretty high cost. When you think about the vulnerability it took to walk in after watching all those news articles for days on end and wonder if you'd have any difference at all, that had to be a pretty vulnerable place to begin. Ultimately, it paid off. And a lot of times I share that because we look at moments of scripture as the great reward that we see, and we often don't see the risk that's taken as one partners with God to get to that place. And Ruth chapter 3 pulls forward for us this theme of high risk, high reward. Um, But in order to grasp it, Uh, We kind of have to get the context because we're not in an agrarian society. We don't quite get some of the images there. So let's just kind of get a little bit of a context to see the high risk that led to the high reward before us as we think about this in our own lives today in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Just as a recap, as you're orienting in your Bible or getting oriented on the screen here, remember um, we're looking at two widows, Ruth and Naomi. Um, who've returned back to Jerusalem after over a decade of famine in the land that led them elsewhere. As they return, um, they settle in, and it just so happens, no coincidences though in God's economy, right, that um, they encounter this kinsman, which we'll look at, this kinsman redeemer in Boaz, who has the ability to not only just provide for some of their needs, but um, redeem this whole situation for them. And now as that relationship grows and um, it's beginning to blossom, Naomi desires that Ruth would not just survive in the land, but thrive in the land in which she has now sojourned. So she counsels Ruth on this plan, this plan to seek marriage with Boaz. Marriage would benefit Naomi as well, as she would be redeemed as part of that as well. But truly, we see that Naomi has Ruth's best interest at heart. That's what motivates her. But doing what is laid forth, to which Ruth agrees, um, is a high risk to Ruth. And to fully understand it, we have to kind of understand what's going on with the harvest in those days and what is being asked of Ruth. In those days, no machines, no quick fixes to do harvest, no combines, no uh, way to get around that. They did that by hand and they would often do it outside of town in kind of an open air uh, barn of sorts um, where they would manually shuck the um, husk from the straw. And they actually did it at night um, or as the sun was setting and into the night to utilize the wind that would blow through at the the end of the day. Um, And so what they would do as they would harvest is they'd shuck the wheat from the chaff and they'd toss it in the air. And the lighter chaff would blow away, and the weightier wheat would drop back down to the threshing floor. And so they'd utilize this process, and it's probably worth zooming out just to grasp that for a quick second biblically. Think of all the images we hear of in um, even Psalms um, about how that's likened to the righteous and the unrighteous, right? Um, The righteous are like the wheat, the unrighteous like the chaff. Um, In a few weeks, hard to believe, we'll be beginning Advent, and we see that figure of John the Baptist emerge, right? And he begins talking about how Jesus uh, would be like this winnowing uh, fork uh, in his hand, how he would separate the righteous from the unrighteous, like the wheat from the chaff, and this image of threshing um, by those who would believe in God through faith in Jesus and those who would reject it at that time of judgment. We do well to kind of look at the global picture because that plays in to what we're looking at just in this particular context. And why now? Why such a forward motion? Well, Naomi knows that once the harvest is over, the natural connection point between Ruth and Boaz will go away. There's not a reason they would really interact at that point, and so she plays forward this plan. She counsels Ruth to what? Wash her face, anoint her head, put on her cloak, all signals that she's no longer a widow that's grieving, but now has ended her mourning and is appropriately uh, available to be betrothed once more. And then in perhaps one of the most misunderstood verses of this book, um, she counsels Ruth to go observe where Boaz lies, uncover his feet, and then lie down. Now, as an aside, we should note that there's nothing more to be read into that than is actually in the text, and we'll get into why in a moment. But um, it's it's an image that would indicate to Boaz her desire to be betrothed. The chapter earlier, he himself has said um, in that biblical phrase, casting his uh, wings over this family to tend to them. Um, The blanket itself would be an image of that. If he would extend that over her, um, it would be a sign that indeed he would be willing to do that so what Ruth is being asked to do is kind of call Boaz's uh, question in that moment nothing more nothing less just quite literally what it is in the text because Boaz probably isn't even thinking about Ruth in this way he may be a little bit older um, and he wouldn't presume to be that forward Um, they're both very upright and moral individuals and we'll see a little bit more about that in the text but um, it shows and indicates the desire So with that in mind, um, we shouldn't overlook the risk in Ruth's simple response, all that you say I will do. That sounds easy, but there's so much risk that Ruth must assume to perform everything that Naomi has counsel. Ruth must have humility and vulnerability on her part. It could lead to her rejection um, by Boaz. She does not know. In fact, um, according to the law, he could isolate Ruth and say, you should take care of the kinsman redeemer for your own husband first before you seek out one for your mother-in-law. There's a lot of things that could have gone very differently. Boaz um, could have uh, ostracized her as a foreigner. There's so many points of risk that Ruth assumes. And it's wonderful to think about um, how she's willing to take this on for her own soul's health, Ruth that is, and that of this dear mother-in-law in in Naomi. Now in verse 6 we discover here's where the moment comes, right? She follows uh, Naomi's instruction down to the very letter and then we get to this kind of uh, this pause, right, where um, after she's waiting, there comes the midnight hour where uh, Boaz shifts in his sleep, notices, oh my goodness, someone is at my feet, um, naturally asks, who is this? Um, And Ruth, I mean, does not leave anything to chance. She goes beyond what Naomi's counsel. Naomi is not a counsel to her to indicate her intentions, but rather make her intentions known through a few gestures that would then lead Boaz to respond. But when he asks who she is, she indicates who she is, and then she explains exactly why she's there. She's assumed even greater risk. She's going to leave nothing To chance or interpretation, she's going to spell it all out for Boaz so that after a night of merriment, um, he won't miss uh, any opportunity that is laid forth there for him to understand. Again, the stealth... That's involved there, shouldn't be viewed as underhanded. Um, in fact, what she's trying to do, Ruth that is, is preserve both her own and Boaz's integrity in the eyes of those around them. And so um, there's this exchange that happens naturally at this point um, as they dialogue together and begin to converse beyond that. And then we discover that what Ruth says um, there in verse 10, um, well, actually, verse 9, excuse me, is she parrots. Boaz's words back to him, those are from chapter two, um, asking biblically that uh, he would spread his wings over her and her family, Naomi as well, um, as a kinsman redeemer. You are a redeemer towards that end. And then Boaz affirms in verse 11 that indeed all the town sees her as a worthy woman. Now, that word worthy there is the same word that comes in Proverbs 31, Um, about worthy women and that that image that's pulled forward so often. And I share that to say, um, again, Boaz has clear understanding, sees her for who she is, and then indicates in her very forward, not just gesture, but then even words, she's proposing marriage there to him, which is a high risk in those days, um, in verse 9. And so he absorbs all that's going on and then responds, saying, indeed, he will respond, um, but there's a more pressing legal issue at hand with a nearer kinsman redeemer who must first weigh in. And then the chapter ends um, as she remains there until the morning. And then in another final act of generosity, he gives her... Um, this great blessing of Barley before uh, she departs to take back to Naomi. So kind of the scene or the curtain closes on one more final act of generosity even on Boaz's behalf, which is kind of a theme through all the characters in Ruth as we reflect on that. So this image of a kinsman redeemer um, is particular to the law and what's going on there is this. In the Old Testament, um, a person, a next of kin, could redeem a family member from slavery, bondage, or debt, or even a need for vengeance um, in some sort of an accidental death situation according to the law with a neighbor. But in order to do so, they had to be a near relative, and they had to have the means and the ability to perform that rescue. Now, um, we should not miss, again, zooming out for just a moment, the rich imagery that's playing out right here. This image of a kinsman redeemer which I hate to spoil next week, but I'm I'm sure you know where this goes, um, that Boaz is willing to do and then ultimately does perform is one that foreshadows what his far-off great-grandchild Jesus would do for all humanity. It's it's an incredible image. It's a high risk that Boaz assumes for a high reward, um, which ultimately is not just a reward for this nuclear family unit, but sets the stage for the Davidic line, and then for Jesus himself, which is incredible when we think about it. And Boaz, um, not unlike Jesus, is willing to let the nearest kinsman-redeemer own up to this opportunity. But if he will not and he does not, then Boaz steps in. Likewise, Jesus allows us and all of humanity to try to own up and somehow redeem our situation, knowing that we cannot and will not steps in for us. He pays that opportunity. Ransom. He redeems us, uh, the only one who has the means to perform the rescue for all of humanity. Stepping in, as we know, at a high risk just into creation itself, despised and rejected by men, and in so doing, um, redeems all of humanity so that we might be the ones who receive the reward, namely, life with him forevermore. And to conclude, the beautiful and rich imagery, um, as Paul uses the church personified as the bride of Christ, we almost can see, mirrored there, Boaz and Ruth, Jesus and the church, um, what he does for us. It's just uh, immensely rich when we reflect on it. And all of this is important to us as we think about stewardship because when we talk about offering our time, or our talent or our treasure and we think about the risks that are involved as we do so. Um, if that dialogue in our hearts or before the Lord begins from any place other than couched in a response to what Jesus has done for us, we'll, we'll miss it. Um, we'll, we'll quantify it, we'll want to uh, kind of you know figure that out, but when we start from a place recognizing with a generosity in which Jesus has redeemed us. It reframes anything that we can offer back to him. And so I share that because as we kind of enter into this last week, I think there's something for us to reflect on. As we move throughout life, the goal is not just to get to the end of life, whereby we finish well and um, enter into God's presence. Yes, that's true, and that's what we believe. But the goal is that as we move throughout life, we might, by God's grace, look a bit more like the one we follow, Jesus himself, being more formed in his image and more formed into his likeness as we do so. But doing that requires decisions. That we make along the way. So, as it pertains to our stewardship, one last thing to reflect on, one last question for you and I as we think about the high risk, high reward imagery in Ruth chapter three perhaps is this From that place, are we willing to become more generous in response to God in use of our time and our talent and our treasure towards Him? I'd ask you to reflect on that in your own heart this week um... because next week as i mentioned at the beginning of worship we have a chance uh... to respond uh... we have a chance to bring our commitments before the lord um, in those areas and as we do so we have a choice to make we can either just respond as we always have financially just kinda write it in Um, or we can prayerfully look at that. We can wrestle with that before the Lord, leaning not on our own wisdom or understanding or looking at the present times as Boaz did in his day, as we've looked at, but prayerfully um, asking the Lord what he would ask of us as we move forward and draw closer to him, um, either towards a biblical tithe or um, just in some way that we can make account for him in response to our generosity um, that he has given us. When we look at um, the use of our time, Um, In this day and age, uh, regular church attendance is no longer measured weekly. Um, Church stats say that a regular church tender comes every four to six weeks. That's the measure. Um, So as we think about that, how might we move forward to prioritize worship of God um, more intentionally, um, that it's truly blocked off? Maybe if if, if that is a a, a metric for you, could you you add one more week in um, to to that four to six weeks period? Um, And not just even worship, but then study of God's word. We can't grow into his character without knowing what his character entails. So whether that's Tuesday night or uh, with CBS or some of the other offerings throughout the course of the week, um, find a place to pursue that and be challenged and spurred on. And as we look at service um, beyond our walls, not just in Sunday morning worship or the things that happen within these five acres, um, but beyond the walls, Um, May we look at ways that we can open up just a bit of time towards that end. I'll give you a teaser of what has bubbled up through listening uh, to you all um, over the past several months on these studies. Um, These themes about young families and marriages and um, um, who's around us has just been called forth in prayer for many groups. And so, um, not unlike those dads, there's going to be an opportunity you'll hear about um, in a few weeks uh, where we can actually go into a local school um, for gospel purposes um, to present the love of Jesus to them in the school where they reside, in an area that we already invested in. There's great opportunity there. Um, And every generation has that obligation, I would say, because we're the fruit of the generations that went before us who created that opportunity, raised us up, the faithful ones you can think back of by name and on a day like today in particular, um, who invested in your life somewhere along the way. Um, and it's our turn, whatever age and stage we're in, to reach down to the next generations as well. So I'd ask you to pray about that this week. Be intentional and prayerful in response to the Lord as we look at our time and our talent and our treasure for this next year and where we can respond um, to the Lord toward that end. And I ask your prayers for me and our family as we look at ways that we can partner with you and honor God in all areas of our lives, remembering, indeed, there may be a high risk, but it is a high reward as we seek pursuit in the upward call in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.